Let Ferguson's knowledgeable product experts kick off your next kitchen or bath project with the latest in touch and hands-free faucets. High-performance gas ranges. Or low-decibel dishwashers. They're really quiet. Request your appointment today at fergusonshowrooms.com. The best decision ever. Visit Ferguson Bath Kitchen and Lighting Gallery in Nashville to discover a wide selection of Whirlpool appliances. From refrigeration to laundry, there's no brand better than Whirlpool. Find out more at fergusonshowrooms.com. Now, 104.5 The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 104.5thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. And here we go. Straight up almost 6 o'clock by my watch. Actually, my watch says it's straight up 7 o'clock, but it's still the big six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. Bless beyond measure. Hope you recognize that you are as well. Our telephone number is 615-737-1045. 737-1045. Live in Atlanta on Radio Row. I've been in this building before, but it was for the college football national championship last year as a part of Outkick the Coverage, which I look over and I see the Fox Sports booth just a little bit away, and this is a different experience, to say the least. You never know who is going to pop up, but I do know a couple of things that I can tell you right off the bat. Coming up next segment, Matthew McConaughey played him back in 2009 in a film called Two for the Money. Brandon Lang is a handicapper who has pretty much gone up, and he's gone down, and he's found a way to still be successful in the industry. Even though I'm not a gambler, I'm fascinated by the idea. I'm fascinated by the concepts. And, of course, look, if McConaughey played you in a movie, you're right for the big six. So he's coming up next. And coming up at 6.30, former Heisman Trophy winner, 15-year NFL veteran Carson Palmer will be here. We'll be able to talk about the quarterbacks in the Super Bowl with him as well as what he thinks of Kyler Murray. I want to ask him about that and so much else about his career. Also, Bruce Arians, who he played for in Arizona. Maybe he's got a thought on how Jameis Winston might play with Bruce Arians. But speaking of quarterbacks, and that's coming up again at 6.30 here on the Big Six, Tom Brady is 41 years old. And for the next three days, I'm probably going to lead off the show unless somebody walks up to the booth here and uh, that will submarine my plans as we will take the interviews when they come. But... I'm going to give you storylines over the next three days that I think really stand out about the Super Bowl. And I think it has to start with Tom Brady. Tom Brady has said, no way, no chance, no how is Sunday his last game as a professional football player. But if he does go and win his sixth Super Bowl, this is a guy that's already universally, at least as universally as one can get, in a sport that also boasts Joe Montana. He's universally recognized as the greatest of all time, the GOAT. And I was sitting here thinking about it, and I was thinking, how many sports does it feel as cut and dry when you look at the greatest to ever do it? Basketball, yeah, it's Jordan. With all due respect to LeBron James, you want to go 1A and 1B, I'm okay with that, but it's Michael Jordan. Baseball, who knows? Depends on your era, depends on what rules you want to follow, Maybe it's Babe Ruth. Maybe it's Jolton Joe. Maybe it's Mickey Mantle. Maybe it's Barry Bonds. Maybe it's Mike Trout if you look at all the numbers surrounding him. Or is it just a pitcher 
and not even a batter. There's so many different rules in terms of that, trying to figure out who the best would be. In hockey, it's Gretzky. There are many other goods, you know, Gordie Howe and Bobby Orr and Bobby Hull and so many others, but it's Wayne Gretzky. In swimming, it's Michael Phelps. In track, it's Usain Bolt. In tennis, it's Roger Federer and it's Serena Williams. In boxing, at one point at least, it was Mike Tyson, and maybe in terms of sheer dominance, you might still go with Tyson if you don't just look at the win-loss record. So my question for you is this. Tom Brady is married to a supermodel. Tom Brady has a moat outside his house. Yes, a moat. M-O-A-T to go along with the G-O-A-T moniker. He's been an MVP I don't know how many times. You know what? Actually, I do know. Three-time NFL MVP, four-time Super Bowl MVP. This would again be the sixth Super Bowl championship, sixth Super Bowl ring for Tom Brady. And now let me run down the accolades in his career. And I'm going to try and read this as fast as I can because somehow it's going to sound even more impressive to you when I go full micro-machines on this thing. This is Tom Brady's career highlights and awards. Five-time Super Bowl champion, four-time Super Bowl MVP, nine-time AFC champion, three-time NFL MVP, 14-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, two-time NFL Offensive Player of the Year, NFL Comeback Player of the Year in 09, three-time NFL Passing Yards Leader, four-time NFL Passing Touchdowns Leader, two-time NFL Passer Rating Leader, Burt Bell Award, AP Male Athlete of the Year in 2007, Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year in 2005, NFL 2000's All-Decade Team, a national champion in 1997, and his NFL records. Best touchdown-to-interception ratio in a single season, 28-2. Most games won by a quarterback, 232. Most Super Bowl wins by a quarterback, 5. Most Super Bowl MVP awards, 4. Most Super Bowl appearances, 8. And it's about to be 9. It's ridiculous. 9,375 attempts, 6,004 completions, a career completion percentage of 64, 517 touchdowns to 171 interceptions, over 70,000 passing yards, a 97.6 career passer rating. He actually has over 1,000 rushing yards, if you can believe that, 1,003, and 19 touchdowns, probably none for more than about two yards. That's ridiculous, folks. And that's not all the accolades, but they're all the ones that could fit on this page in front of me. Tom Brady was sacked 21 times this past season. That's not really a lot in a full regular season. His jersey stays about as clean as a quarterback's can, but he's lost a step, meaning literally he's slow. He's a slow-moving human being, but he was never fast, so I'm kind of saying that in jest. He can't catch. We've seen that twice, once in Nashville. But he's not a wide receiver. He's a quarterback. And he's still awfully, awfully good, at times the best. So let me ask you something. What exactly is Tom Brady going to do if he's not playing football? What exactly would Tom Brady be? if he wasn't the quarterback of the New England Patriots? Seriously. I mean, there's the TB12 method and the health and the fitness and the I only allow myself four almonds per day diet and all the craziness and the books 
and his trainer and his nutritionist and all of those things. But I'm serious here. What would he do if he wasn't the quarterback in the New England Patriots? What kind of life would he have? And would he be happy in that life? I mean, this year, 65.8% completions. This is 2018. Over 4,300 yards passing, 29 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. That's a lot for him, but it's still a 29 to 11 ratio. The 21 sacks are not that bad in this league. The four fumbles, QBR was still above 70. He's still playing at an incredibly high level. Is he Patrick Mahomes? No. He never threw the ball like Patrick Mahomes, though. The secret about the New England Patriots for years was they were dink and dunk. When you looked at the Patriots versus the Colts all those years, the argument was always the same. Peyton Manning flung it down the field to Marvin Harrison, to Reggie Wayne. Whoever it was down the field, Peyton Manning lifted that pigskin down the gridiron to get it to them. And Tom Brady threw little underneath routes. And he made Kevin Falk into a name that you might remember. And he made Danny Woodhead into a name that you might remember. And he's made James White into a name that you now remember. And Deion Lewis into a name that you might now remember. That's what he did. He threw to Amendola. He threw to Wes Welker. Made them stars. Didn't have a deep threat throughout much of his tenure. Had Randy Moss. We saw how that went. They almost went undefeated. Almost. But generally, that wasn't, it wasn't a bunch of weapons. It was him knowing what to do with them and Bill Belichick being an absolute genius and Josh McDaniels being an absolute genius. So again, I'm going to ask this question again because I think this is one of the real storylines going into this game is what happens if Tom Brady wins it? I'm a Denver Broncos fan. I remember what John Elway did when he won his second world championship, when he won his second Super Bowl. He walked off that field in a way that almost no athlete has been able to do at the height of his powers. Now, he knew that Terrell Davis had helped him get that Super Bowl and Mike Shanahan and the zone-blocking scheme as well. But John Elway could still play at a high level when he walked away from the game. Almost nobody can do that. Michael Jordan retired a Washington Wizard. What is Tom Brady going to do if he's not the quarterback of the Patriots? I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what you do if you love what you do. Now, if you don't like what you do, first off, I'm sorry. I hope that that changes for you. But find something in your life that that takes up a lot of your time, is all you've ever known, all you've ever done, like Tom Brady in football. And then think about Red in the Shawshank Redemption, Morgan Freeman's character. When he got out of prison, after the escape and after everything else that went down in that wonderful film, what was left for Red to do in his life? And it's not just the Red story. We've seen this people get out of prison that have been in there and it's become their life and they don't know how to reacclimate themselves to society. All he had was Andy Dufresne on that beach. That was the only thing that probably kept him alive in that process. Tom Brady didn't know anything but football. He started with a chip on his shoulder because he didn't get to play at Michigan. He has played with that chip on his shoulder his entire career in the NFL. He still motivates himself by saying that people are counting them out. He still motivates himself by saying they're underdogs and we suck and all the stuff that he said over the past couple of weeks 
which sounds like nonsense because we're not Tom Brady. Tom Brady has to make himself believe that because that's the key. He has to prove something, even after all the accolades that I just read to you. He famously told the ownership of the Patriots, went up to Robert Kraft and shook his hand after he was drafted, and he said, you just made the smartest decision in the history of your franchise. And I'll be darned if he wasn't right, because he is the GOAT. I think it's fascinating. If he wins a sixth, is he going to come back for a seventh? He's still playing at a high level. And I do wonder, is he just going to go home and be Giselle's husband? Is he just going to you know, be the, the father at home? Or is he just going to go into this nutrition empire? I think he wants to play till he's 45 because he has no idea what he's going to do when he's 46. That's the question, and it's going to be so interesting to watch. Now, if the Rams win, I think it becomes easier for him. I don't think he's leaving unless he wins. But him saying no way, no chance is it his last game makes me think maybe it could be just because that's the way things tend to work. Coming up next here live on Radio Row, Brandon Lang, a movie made about his life, Two for the Money, starring Matthew McConaughey, came out just at the end of the last decade. It's going to be a fascinating conversation. Remember, coming up 6.30, 15-year NFL veteran Carson Palmer, 2002 Heisman Trophy winner. We're going to have some fun here on Radio Row. The Big Six rolls along next here on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Welcome back. Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. Joined by Brandon Lang, who, well, I have never gambled in my life, so this is going to be a very interesting conversation to say the least. But I will say, since you were the subject of two for the money, I think they cast it right with Matthew McConaughey. I imagine that's the right way to start this interview. That probably is. Um, Matt's a great guy. He pulled it off. He captured the emotion of this godforsaken sports gambling business, the intensity of sweating these games and watching these athletes do dumb stuff to cost you money. But at the end of the day, um, we're here to talk about the Super Bowl. It's a, it's a selection that's kind of defined my career. I'm 23-3 and three with this pick. I've hit, five, I've hit four in a row, looking for number five in a row. I just had a great feel for this pick. You can never let what happened in the championship games affect you from what you see here. Don't let what you just saw affect on what you think you're going to see. So if you work off that base platform and then you look at the number, you see what Vegas is trying to make you do and you throw it all together, I've been, I've been right 23-26. So for me, though, this one's a tough one, and I'll tell you why. All eight Patriots Super Bowls have been a one-possession game. Of their eight Super Bowls, there's only one, whether you bet the Patriots or you bet the other side, there's only been one the game that you haven't had to sweat the very end. That's the Giants plus 12 and a half. In that game, it was 3-0, 7-3, 10-7, 14-10, 17-14. There was never any more separation than four. So the 12 and a half never came into play if you had the Giants. The other seven, no matter who you had, you sweated it till the last two minutes of the game. And that's what makes this Super Bowl so intriguing. Is it going to be the first Super Bowl where the Patriots blow somebody out? Or is it going to be like the other eight that come right down to the end and everybody's like, oh my God, here we go. Right. So when you started out, there was the, I saw your book, you know, the rise, the fall, the resurrection. Yes, thank you. Tell me about what the high is like when you're just on an incredible roll and it just seems like the bankroll is going to continue and never stop. A uh, better way to put it is touting Clemson to beat Alabama by double yeah. digits. 
when the whole world saw Alabama, when the whole world thought Clemson didn't have a chance, for me to then come on the other side and say, not only do I think Clemson has a chance, I think Clemson's going to win, and I don't even think game's going to be close. And to call Clemson to win by double digits, and to see them win, and have have the announcer say, I don't think anybody saw this coming, and I'm sitting in my house going, what are you talking about, brother? I saw it coming. That high... The problem in my business to sustain that high, you got to win the next day, and you got to win the next day, and you got to win the next day. Because in my business, being Brandon Lang, you can never win enough to sustain the demand of people that want your picks. Nobody can win every day. Nostradamus can't win every day. Jesus couldn't win every day as much as we love Jesus. Nobody can win every day. For me, people expect you to win every day, and you only get to enjoy the win. Until the next day when you got to pick a college basketball or a baseball or an NBA play the next day or a, another football game the next day. And that's the frustrating part of the business is that I know I have to try to win every day. I just know it's not realistic. Right. So I was doing a little bit of research and just looking into what people thought of you. And I feel like this is probably standard across gambling as a whole. Yes. There are people out there that really want to see you fail. Yeah. That either maybe you cost them money on yeah. some pick in the yeah. past, or maybe they just want your job. Or yeah. how cutthroat an industry is this? The worst, and, and and the internet hasn't helped because there's no police officer out there on the internet writing tickets for character assassination. People don't know you. They don't know how what kind of person you are. You know how many times I've met people and talked with them and spent time with them. They go, man, you're completely different from what I thought you would be. I'm like, why? Because you read everything on the internet and what people say and you don't sit down and give me five minutes? I pride myself on being genuine. I pride myself on being real. More importantly, I pride myself on being a people person. I've always put others before myself. And I've said this for years. You take the person out there in the internet world that hates me the most and you let him sit down with me for lunch for 30 minutes, he can't get up from that lunch and go, you know what? I can't stand that guy still. You can. It's not who I am. It's not who I've never been. Just because they made a movie about my life and I'm in a horrible industry where you, where you're, where, where if you are in an industry where you tout something and you're wrong, people are going to hate you. It's just the nature of human error. And I'm in a business that I understand that. I just try to do my best every day. But Roger Clemens told me something. Roger Clemens told me the higher up the ladder you go, the more people that are going to be there to knock you off. And it's so profound, so simple, but yet so profound. And he's right. And you, and he said, you know, you've made it when you have haters. And he's right, and, it, and, and that's exactly right. You can't let that affect you. You can just, those who are personally involved in your life that know who you are, there's opinion who matters. If you listen to all the outside chatter, you can't do what I do for a living. That's why I never pay attention to it. What's, what's your reaction when you find out they're going to make a movie about Brandon Lang? Like, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. I don't know what the reaction yeah. would be in my brain. I don't know what I would yeah. do for the first 24 hours just trying to contextualize that in my mind. It's so funny you say that. Um, I was in L.A., and on Friday, we found out that Pacino McConaughey walked away, and it was dead. This is six years of my life, six years of a roller coaster ride where Jay Cohen, the producer, called me up and said, got bad news. It's never going to happen. I put tinfoil over my apartment wall so it would stay dark, and I laid in my bed for, for two days, Saturday and Sunday. I, wow. I, I couldn't move. I, I was paralyzed. And then Monday morning, I didn't even shower, and Monday morning, my phone rings, and Jay says, are you ready for this? He goes, they signed over the weekend. Congratulations. And I literally just got up in the clothes that I had on. I got in my car. I drove to Vegas, which was four hours. I walked into my mom's house, gave her a hug, and started bawling. She goes, what's up? I go, it's going to happen. 
and I showered and I have clothes there and I took her out to lunch and then that night I went out with my buddies and it's the night I met my wife who I've been with for 14 years. That's quite a story. Yep, I mean, that's incredible. a great day. That's yep, a great, that's a great, a great time frame. Great so there's no resurrection without the fall. How low did it get? Still gets low. Still gets low. You know, you know especially with, with this pick here, you can always tell people only bet what you can afford to lose. You can always tell people to practice money management and discipline. You can tell people, you know, that that's the way it should be. Just like the guy goes to the bar and he likes, I'm going to have a couple of drinks. And then sure. people will not be responsible. I know that. But this pick here, I've only lost it three times. But I know the amount of money that's being wagered on my opinion for this pick. That's as low as it gets. The three empty feelings. Think about this. 28 Super Bowls I've picked. There's been two ties. Packers, Patriots, line was 14, 35, 21. Last time here, Titans, Rams, line was 7, 23, 16. Those are the two pushes. Other than that, I've only missed three in 26. The high I've gotten, 23 of 26 times. But I can tell you, I can close my eyes and feel the bullet wound here and the emptiness when I've lost this pick. And, and I don't ever... Listen, I understand I've been very fortunate to win a few. Look at the Patriots when they were minus one against Seattle and Malcolm Butler saves my life. Look at the Atlanta game. I'm down 28-3. They saved my life. So you have to be lucky as well. I'm a realist. I know I should have never won the Seattle Super Bowl. I know I never should have won the Atlanta Super Bowl. If Kyle Shanahan runs it three times after Julio Jones gets, if Pete runs Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. Um, so you got to be lucky. But I don't like the lows. But because i got to pick a game every day, you experience quite a few. But the high of hitting a Clemson, the high of hitting the Super Bowl, just keeps that drive to just keep it going. Um, it, 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 it's, it's that high that you chase. And I'm not a drug person, and, and I'm clean, and glass of wine at night, and that's it. Um, it's that high that I chase after. Listen, just like if I... Tonight I got uh, Duquesne in college basketball plus two over Rhode Island. If I hit that home dog outright, I'll be just as happy as if it was a Super Bowl win because that's the pressure that's on me each day just to win a game. Brandon Lane, sports handicapper, subject of two for the money, is with us here on the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. So where were you on Saints-Rams last week? Because coming from your perspective and all of what was on the line past just who won the football game, that... uh, that result had to mean something much different for you than maybe it did for me. On both games. Remember, both lines were minus three. Right. So you had Saints going to the Super Bowl, and everybody that had the Saints bought from three down to two and a half. Everybody that had the Rams bought from three up to three and a half. So it didn't affect you were going to win with the Rams either way. But if you had the Saints, not only are you going to the Super Bowl, but they covered your two and a half, play doesn't get called. D Ford lining up in the neutral zone. That was a complete switch from Chiefs minus three winning by four cover to Patriots winning outright. So not only did we not get the Super Bowl we were supposed to have, and see, this is what screwed up Las Vegas. Before the playoffs started, NFC was minus two over the AFC. Vegas was pretty darn confident we were going to get a Saints-Chiefs Super Bowl. And the Saints would have been minus two over the Chiefs. They never in their wildest dreams thought both road teams were going to win conference championship Sundays. Now, what do you do? They probably should have opened the Patriot at minus two and a half. But they've devalued the Patriots the entire playoffs. Short number under seven against the Chargers. And made them a dog for the first time in 68 games on the road. They devalued them. So when they set the Super Bowl line, they devalued them again 
and they paid for it. Why? Well, they opened up the Rams minus one, the public, and then the Sharps in Vegas immediately pushed the Patriots to minus two and a half. So now, where's Vegas now? They're stuck. They got 80% Patriot money, 20% Ram money. The only way they're going to get Ram money is if they move that line to three. But the problem with that is if they move that line to three, you're going to get all those people that have Patriots money line, Patriots plus one, buying the half point and taking the Rams plus three and a half and create for themselves a four-point middle. Well, if you do that, now you expose yourself to the fact that six of the eight Patriots Super Bowls, as I said, have fallen on three. So Vegas has a decision. Leave it at two and a half. Root for the Rams. If we lose, we lose 15, 20 million. Or let's bump it up. Let's even it out and go for the, the, the big score. And But they subject themselves to the middle. I personally haven't done this for 28 years. They're going to keep it at two and a half. They can't risk that middle and the amount of money by moving it up to three. If, if they wanted it at three, they would have moved it already. I don't think it moves. I think it stays at two and a half. One question about when a quarterback's out, that changes the line significantly yeah. because quarterback matters huge, obviously, in the Brady's NFL and matters in Brady's football. worth nine. Rodgers is worth seven. That's unreal. Yep. Other positions, do they matter at all? Like Aaron Donald's out, what does that do? Big. That would That's be, big. That, that'd be four points. Aaron Donald would be four points. Um, what about Gurley and his situation? Not really sure. No, because he, he was banged up against the Saints and it didn't matter. And they yeah. knew he, they, they knew he was banged up. That that really didn't matter. Um, Defensive players. Odell do Beckham. Matter. Odell Beckham, Beckham for the okay. Giants is worth probably two two and a half. Um, other than that, not much. Donald especially. But no, other than that, not much. Just your quarterbacks. Maybe your number one receiver, like the Giants, are so dependent on him. Um, but that's it. Brady Rogers was seven, and Brady was nine when they when they were out. Um, the line moved that much um, a couple years back. And then two questions to finish up. One, you don't seem to be a huge fan of the online side, and at least you weren't. Maybe you've kind of embraced it a little bit more as it's gotten fleshed out a little bit better. Where is the state of online gambling today? And then past that, the new legislation and everything that's kind of going to change what you do. What does that mean for what you do? Well, it's always going to help me the more gambling becomes legal because people are going to be looking for somebody who knows what they're doing. That's first and foremost. Second of all, online online is a comfortability factor with people. So you argue online. But I think the biggest key is what, what Adam Silver wants to do. He's a year and a half away is get the kiosk in the NBA arenas, and then you're able to rent tablets and go in-game betting on your lap while you're in the arena. I do feel that once he gets all that up and running, the money the NBA owners are going to make off that, the NF owners will go to Goodell and say, Raj, we cannot keep turning and down And you said in-game, so not just score. It can be all sorts of different absolutely. things inside absolutely. the game. It can be as hard they, and good to score 20 absolutely. in the second absolutely. half absolutely. Like absolutely. In-game, in-game wagering on that tablet. Every wager you make, NBA gets a piece of it. I can't imagine going to an NBA game, renting a tablet, sitting there, watching the game, and it makes this free throw on the line. Right. I think it changes. In three to five years, I think we're going to have that. And listen, Goodell can keep saying what he's saying. At the end of the day, he works for the NFL owners. They're greedy. Once they see what these NBA owners are making, that shoe's going to fall. When it does, it's a whole new world's going to open up. Gamblin's not going anywhere. I guess that means Brandon Lang's not going anywhere. Well, he's going somewhere from us. But appreciate the time, Brandon. Best of luck to you for the rest of the season. Thank you, thank you brother. All right. More with the Big Six coming up next on 104.5 The Zone. 104.5 The Zone.
Welcome back. Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Jason Martin with you at J-Mart Zone. Joined by, he played 15 years in the NFL. And a Heisman Trophy winner, Carson Palmer, joins us here from Radio Row in Atlanta. Carson, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. So, 15-year career. You didn't win a Super Bowl. You did make an NFC Championship game, though. When you look at it, yeah, there were injuries, but you lasted a while in the league. When you look back at your career, how do you assess the Carson Palmer era in the NFL? Well, I think everybody's judged by Super Bowl wins. Um, so you either you either have a ring or you don't, and, and I don't. Um, but I was blessed to play for 15 years. I loved every second of it. I enjoyed it all. I soaked it all in. I gave it all I had. Um, and I met and played for and played with some unbelievable men and women. And, and um, you know, I'm just just look back and, and I, I miss certain aspects of it. Um, and I do, I do uh, miss the fact that I wasn't able to win a ring. Um, but I look back on it, and, and I enjoyed every second, and, and it was an honor to play the game. You spent a lot of time, obviously, in Cincinnati, but you also played in Arizona, and you played for Bruce Arians. And Bruce Arians, now new regime down in Tampa Bay. Jameis Winston has struggled for a couple of years. I don't know if that's a talent thing or if that's just he hasn't had the right leadership around him, but I think I remember seeing you say something a couple of weeks ago about how you think Bruce Arians is going to be great for Jameis Winston. Oh, I, I, no doubt about it. Um, it's probably the best thing that could have happened to Jameis is getting a guy like Bruce at this point in his career. You know, He's not a young guy. He's not an old guy and not an old vet. Uh, it's it's really good timing, uh, especially with his contract situation. He's he's in the last year of his deal, um, so I think Bruce will be great for him. I think his system will, will really fit what Jameis does well, which is throw the ball accurately down the field. Um, and I think it's a great tandem. I think they're going to have a lot of success together. You were athletic, and you were definitely athletic in college. And you're seeing kind of a new breed of hybrid quarterback now, where. Not really the Michael Vick scrambler, but the guy that is mobile and can escape. You've got the Kyler Murray situation. We don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but we've seen what Baker Mayfield can do. Patrick Mahomes, he can run, but obviously he can throw. When you look at the quarterback position, some of the dynamic guys that are young, uh, who really strikes you? Of uh, the upcoming guys coming out this year? or Well, the guys that are already there, the Deshaun Watsons, all of those guys. Man, Deshaun Watson's a phenomenal player. Um, he can beat you outside the pocket. He can beat you in, in the pocket. Um, you know, I, I think another guy that, that can run around and beat you with his legs, Russell Wilson's a, a phenomenal player. He's still a young, youngish type player, I would think. But Patrick Mahomes jumps off the screen at you. I mean, he, he doesn't do it with his legs. He, he uses his legs to beat you with his arms um, or with his arm. Well, actually, with his arms, he does it with his left hand too. Um, but you know, I, I think I think at the end of the day, you know, we're here because you know, watching those two quarterbacks who are not going to beat you with their legs ever. They're, they're pocket passers, and that's still what it gets what gets it done in this league. Um, but I, I really like you know Patrick Mahomes' game. He's I think he should win the NFL MVP. I think he should win the the FedEx Air Player of the Year award, which I get to announce, and I hopefully get to announce it's his name on Saturday. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of great players and, and a lot of great young talent, but at the end of the day, you still got to be able to win the game from inside the pocket like Jared Goff and Tom Brady can. Carson Palmer joining us here on the Big Six. You can't get a old versus new more than you get a 41-year-old Tom Brady and Jared Goff who's barely even out of college. What does that say about first Sean McVay and what he's been able to do? And do you ever watch his offense and think, man, I wish I'd had a couple of years with that guy as an offensive coordinator at least? Yeah, I mean, Jared's in a really good spot. I mean, you got you got Brandon Cooks, you had Cooper Cup, um, you had Sammy Watkins last year. 
You got Higby at tight end. You got Todd Gurley in the backfield. You got an offensive line that played every game together, and nobody got hurt, and they're all really good. I mean, he, and you got Sean McVay calling the plays, so it's a really good recipe uh, for success. And, and they have obviously had a lot of success to get to this point. Um, and I, I, I think they'll, I think they'll end up being champs. I think, I think they can beat the Patriots if anybody can do it in this game um, with that offense and that pass rush that they have on defense. I think it's a great combination to win. And then 41-year-old Tom Brady, is there any doubt anymore that he's the greatest that's ever done this? Nine, nine Super Bowls out of 18 tries. Uh, really, 17 tries. I mean, one year he got hurt in week one. So, um, no, he's he's the best to ever do it. You know, and, and I know there's always it's, – it's easy to debate because you don't want to – everybody hates him because he's always playing in this game. So it's easy to debate. But when you just look at that number, nine Super Bowl appearances, every other year he goes to Super Bowl, that's unheard of. There's sort of a weird reason that I like having you, and that is because NCAA 2004 that you were on the cover of with EA Sports, still one of the greatest video games ever made. Do people still remember the fact that you were on the cover of that game? I think most people believe that's the best one that was ever released. Do they really? I, d- yes. I didn't know that. I didn't know there was that much hype around it. Um, no, I mean, I, I remember playing the game a ton and, and really liked it. Um, but before I leave, I do want to do want to talk about FedEx and what FedEx is doing. Um, FedEx is donating forty thousand dollars a year on behalf of the FedEx Air Player of the Year Award and Ground Player of the Year Awards. You can log on and vote until tomorrow, the thirty-first. You can vote on Twitter on the NFL page on Twitter. You can vote on NFL.com forward slash FedEx. Uh, six great candidates: three for Ground, three for Air. My votes are Ezekiel Elliott and Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and FedEx is donating that money to the USO Pathfinder program, which is an awesome program that helps our servicemen and women transition from serving our country into civilian life. Great cause, great stuff. Appreciate you uh, giving us a couple of minutes of your time, Carson. Enjoy the rest of the week. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's Carson Palmer. We'll be right back with more at Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Metro Nashville. Tonight, Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone Global Golf Radio. Following us, Radio Row coverage continues tomorrow. Wake Up Zone, Midday 183 HL and me polishing it off. And I'll polish off the week on Friday as well. Thanks to Carson Palmer for giving me a couple of minutes of his time. I wish that he had really been able to deep dive with me into NCAA Football 2004 for the PlayStation 2. That's really what I wanted to sit here and talk to him about for 10 minutes. I don't, I'm not sure he fully remembered he was even on the cover of that game, but I remember that game. I lost years off my life playing that game, and I miss the fact that that game doesn't exist anymore. A game that did exist last night was Tennessee and South Carolina, and the Vols, well, it was close, and then it wasn't close. It was a 22-point win. And then on ESPN, Kentucky beats Vanderbilt by like 7,000. Just a utter, I don't even know what to say about that game. But I do want to ask a question. And I'm not, this is not necessarily me complaining. It's just something that I found curious. And I think it speaks to what television does. Because the Vols are the number one team in the country the last time I checked. The Vols played against a better opponent in South Carolina on the road last night on the SEC Network. And Kentucky and Vanderbilt was on ESPN. The number one team in the country was on a network that not as many people even get. 
in favor of the Kentucky Wildcats being the Kentucky Wildcats. Ratings matter. But I said weeks ago, I said it to David Ubbin when he came on, I said it to Trey Wallace when he came on, I said that maybe the best thing that could happen to this Tennessee team is that they could fly under the radar. I thought maybe if they never even hit number one, if they just stayed at two or three, that would give them their own version of the Tom Brady, everybody's counting us out motivation. Because I think they can play better from beneath. I've mentioned before that watching what happened to Georgia the year that they lost to Alabama in the national championship game and just what happened down the stretch of that season, they were great. And then they became number one, and then they got beat. Because it is really hard to be number one when you've never been number one because everybody looks at you differently, and you look at yourself differently, and you expect different things of yourself. And sometimes it takes time to actually get used to that. Kentucky's used to being a top-ten team. And we're used to watching Kentucky start slow because they're trying to figure things out, and then all of a sudden they do around January or February, and whether or not they're a one seed, a two seed, or sometimes a four or even a six seed, a lot of people will have them coming out of that bracket because they're Kentucky, and they usually have brand-new players every single year that don't know each other and take time to gel. But then once that talent gels, they become very difficult to knock off. The Tennessee Volunteers know each other, We know all the stories about these guys, and they're number one, but are they? Because I still don't think anybody's giving them credit. Some people are giving them respect nationally, but most people are still talking about Duke. They're still talking about Michigan, even though Michigan's lost games. Kansas has fallen off a cliff, but Kentucky is coming. There always seems to be a storyline in the way of the Tennessee Volunteers. And when you look at, for example, what has happened at Oklahoma with the quarterback that transferred out because Jalen Hurts came in and wanted to go to West Virginia and now is going to go to West Virginia, it was the same thing for him. Pretend like he's a number one guy, a number one seed, for example, a number one in the country, but not getting the same level of respect, and they keep bringing in somebody else that they're talking about instead of you, and finally you just get tired of it and leave. I could see Tennessee getting tired of it, and really playing some good basketball. They've had some close shaves, and that's a good thing for this team. Last night, South Carolina gave them all they wanted. After they kind of broke out into a big lead, you look up and it's 56-52, to and then you look at the ending score and you just talk about, wow, that last eight minutes or so was just incredible for the Volunteers. But this is a one-loss team that was on the SEC network last night while... A not one loss team and a team that certainly is not number one in the country was chilling on ESPN. And I just, I watched it and I found it fascinating because that's just how it is. If Duke was playing last night, I don't know how you parse Kentucky and Duke playing at the same time. I don't know who goes ESPN and who gets it. I think Duke goes ESPN and Kentucky goes ESPN too at that point because of the hatred towards the Duke program. And with all these networks owned under the same roof, I don't know that it matters. It was just curious to me. If Kentucky was number one, it would have made a lot more sense. But, I don't know. I watch TV for a living, whether it's sports or pop culture or otherwise. Another story that I'm noticing, TV-related, the Pittsburgh station that yesterday put up the Tom Brady kind of rally deal, the we're still here that he was chanting a couple of days ago, and then put on the Chiron underneath his name, Known Cheater. 
That's KDKA CBS Channel 2. Uh, the guy who was responsible for putting that up has been fired by the television station. Quote from the station saying, While fans are entitled to have personal opinions, we have a journalistic responsibility to provide unbiased reporting. Unquote. Yes, that is true. Now, this is Pittsburgh, and they hate New England, just like most of the rest of the countries do. And they're obviously going back to Deflategate. They may even be going back to Spygate. Who knows? But KDKA getting real bold with it. And they go further and say the graphic that appeared Monday violated our news standards. Because it's not news. It was just a dude having fun. Like, I, I don't think that... I don't try to come out here and say people should lose their jobs. That dude probably should lose his job. Because you should lose your job for being dumb. You should not lose your job for working hard. And I'm sure that that dude works hard. But if you're that stupid, you probably shouldn't have that gig. You have to be smarter than putting that up there. Because you know, in a 24-7, 365-day media cycle, that thing is going to make the rounds. And it's not going to take very long. That thing was on Twitter in like six seconds. That thing was on every radio show in this country within 30 minutes of it happening. Every national radio show, at least, where there were people hosting at that point in time. What was the benefit of doing this? The five friends that he texted and said, hey, check out what's about to happen on the TV. And now those same five friends are the ones he said, hey, can you help me polish up my resume? Because this did not go very well for me. Stupid. You can't, you can't fix stupid. Like, Ron White's kind of gone off the deep end, but you can't fix stupid is still true. That was just a boneheaded move. And then a story that's a little bit darker, and that is that this Maryland investigation over the death of Jordan McNair, Heather Dinich put this up just recently, the investigations into the football program that eventually led to D.J. Durkin being fired, even though the investigation and those associated with the school, the commission members, did not make personnel recommendations, the regents back at the end of October announced the decision to retain D.J. Durkin, and then one day later, Public outcry, political backlash, the president of the university fired Durkin. How much did it cost, these investigations? $1.57 million is what it cost to investigate this Jordan McNair situation and the toxic culture of the Maryland football program. $1.75 million. That is incredible. For two months of work, documents, 110 pages of invoices through a public records request, the university system was charged $636,000, according to another group, and then the eight commission members charged an hourly rate of 650 bucks each. $650 each for the commission members to say, nah, we're going to keep DJ Durkin. That is money well spent, especially after they put out their recommendation. One day later, the school president finally did what he wanted to do all along. It was revealed that they were trying to oust him as president because he was trying to get rid of the football coach no one had ever heard of. And I've talked about this story before. Who in the world is D.J. Durkin anyway? If D.J. Durkin walked onto Radio Row right now with a shirt that said, I am D.J. Durkin... I would need to see identification because I have no idea what that dude looks like. 
I would not want to talk to that guy, even if he had not been associated with this, because who in the audience right now, other than this story, has any interest in DJ Durkin whatsoever? Has any idea what DJ Durkin is? DJ Durkin sounds like some kind of baloney, literally, that you pick up in a grocery store. I have no idea why on earth it felt so difficult to get rid of this guy that wasn't even winning games. Was the Maryland football program Ohio State? Was it Alabama? Was it Clemson? Was it anything? Maryland football has not mattered since I I don't even know. I would have to bring up the... I think that they had a couple of years there where they were pretty good. But DJ Durkin wasn't even winning football games. And this cost that university $1.57 million. Do you know what you could do with $1.57 million? A lot of good. Incredible. Utterly incredible. Also incredible, our coverage here from Radio Row. I saw the list of what the other shows have got going on tomorrow. I know Midday 180 starting off with Steve Atwater. I saw the list for 3HL. Everybody's going to be rolling. I'm going to be rolling tomorrow. We're going to have the guests always get better as the week goes along. The Hall of Famers start rolling in tomorrow. So we are going to have all sorts of coverage here. We are so thankful and blessed to be down here again. And uh, it's going to be great radio. So stick with us for the rest of the week. It's also going to be great radio coming up next as I send it to Global Golf Radio. Barney Allery and the crew set to talk, I would guess, Tiger Woods. He didn't win at Torrey Pines. Was it a good day or a good weekend? Or was it a bad weekend for Tiger Woods? It seemed to me it was a good final nine holes after three and a half rounds that you would otherwise want to forget if you were the strike. So I send it to Global Golf Radio. We will see you tomorrow live right here from the World Congress Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks to Carson Palmer. Thanks to Brandon Lang. I'm Jason Martin. We will see you tomorrow here from Radio Row.